What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Kings and Priests. Dean. Howdy. What's up, man? It's good to see you. Good to be seen. Good to be here. You've been, been all over the place. Yeah, I've been uh, went to Australia, saw the saw the parents, and caught up with some customers, and it was you know nine days in and out. That's uh that's a good time for us. Much less than that, it's probably tough to even get adjusted. Yeah, I've there, right? I've done a turnaround. Like I did land one day and get back on the same plane for an emergency. <laughs> so oh, it was gosh. fourteen hours in, and then two hours there, and then fourteen back. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, that's cool. Was it the first time you'd seen your folks like since before the pandemic? Yeah, four years. So wow. Yeah. Okay. Brutal. Because I was so planning crazy. it right, you know, after COVID hit that had been planned, and of course that got, you know, shut down. And mm-hmm. two years later, here we are. Here we are. So yeah, it was a good trip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, well, we got some cool stuff to talk about today. Just before we hit mm-hmm. record, we were talking about like, is the Elon conversation played out? Probably a bit. There's everyone that has anything to say about it has probably been said. But I did see this morning that Ben Horowitz tweeted that uh, A16Z is joining the bid, investing $400 million into the company, which is which is pretty crazy. And I guess all but effectively probably kills uh, Clubhouse, right? Especially since Twitter Spaces is the big competing product. Yeah, I guess. I saw a Larry Ellison from Oracle. He's thrown in a billion. So, Is he really? Know. Yeah, that came over today. So it's just interesting to see who all the kind of free-thinking, free-speech people are in tech. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, the reports that he's going to take it public again in three years, I totally believe. So yeah, how cool is it going to be? He's going to buy this thing for 44 You know, Morgan Stanley, all, everyone's got putting money in. He's putting money in. And I, I'll predict right now that when it goes public, it goes for $100 million or, or more. Or more, yeah. In, in three years. 100, 100 billion. 100, 100 billion. 100 billion, yeah. Sorry, 100 billion. So, okay, let me ask you a question about that. So I literally just for the fun of it bought like 15 Twitter shares. Uh-huh. You know, they announced he was saying it over. The right. stock popped. It kind of dropped back down. And I was like, you know what? This is pure for fun, yeah. right? So when it goes private, I know he says he wants to allow, figure out a way to allow the majority of private shareholders to right. stay. But that's, that's, probably only going to include like institutional shareholders right like the average person that owns 10 shares of twitter is not going to their shares are going to get liquidated i don't don't think so i think it's it's totally feasible by the way okay for you to have stock in a privately owned twitter uh okay just paperwork so i i I would think he was for the little guy more than the the institutional guys but i did see Mm -hmm. like that Bin Alawid, Saudi Arabian prince, he's got 1.9 billion in there. He's keeping it in. Like everyone's okay. Everyone's letting their stock ride. So mm-hmm. you know he's going to buy stock from sellers. But mm-hmm. um, essentially, you know, I think if you're invested, there's a chance you could keep, stay in in the private company and just let it ride for, for two or three years. Mm-hmm. And and I guess the whole reason for taking it private is similar to like, I think Dell did that, right? Yep. Where it's essentially like, we need a complete reorg, restructuring. We need to even right. maybe totally pivot in our business model. Yep. Um, so it's almost in many ways like a restart. Is that kind of why you take a company private like that? Sometimes, sometimes the public stock price is so low and the cost of money is so cheap. It makes sense. You know, and there's a lot of zeros, 44 billion, right? But the, the the stock was so low he he you know bids like fifty four dollars or whatever it was which is ten bucks over you know the trading price 
and and then yeah you go and reorganize it refocus it fire a bunch of people you know put some vision in there recalibrate the whole thing and uh and hopefully revenues increase you know to the point where the public market would want to buy it again at a higher price and i have no doubt that that's going to happen yeah i think if anybody can do it he can it seems totally, like right yeah. absolutely um he's a legend. yeah really re- yeah yeah he and he's just funny i mean it's just it's, it's it's funny to see people hate on him so yeah intensely and i i don't i don't understand why especially considering he is if you're like a climate change if you really care about climate change totally. he's literally trying to change he, the world he's almost i mean handedly getting more co2 out of the air than anyone on the planet and if mm-hmm. and if you're a climate change warrior he he mm-hmm. was their hero and then mm-hmm. the the thing that they c- cannot handle because of their their ideology is mm-hmm. that he just wants a fair playing field for speech and he mm-hmm. looked at and he's named them right like Mm-hmm. The the Hunter Biden laptop story being, mm-hmm. you know, taken out of yep. the, the town square, so to speak. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. didn't like that. And that, especially mm-hmm. now that's, you know, come to be true. So forget the politics. Right. I don't I don't think he's mm-hmm. a real political guy. I think he's a I think he's um and he he's just believes and understands how free speech functions within democracies and Twitter's putting its thumb on the scale. Mm-hmm. in a way that is hindering free speech and open thought mm-hmm. around things they disagree with. And I think that's what pushed him to the edge. And mm-hmm. and then, like, the left go bananas on him. The NBC is, like, you know, hammering him, calling him an idiot, like he's a... There was a, there was a hit piece in the New York Times this morning right, right, about right. him, another one. It's, like, it's ridiculous. And he, just, he just, like, he said to the NBC guys, like, you're the people that allowed Matt Lauer to have a rape office. You're the people that mm-hmm. covered for, um, yep. you know, Epstein, Epstein. producer that was doing all kinds of things. Like you are Weinstein. Yep. Yeah. And, and so mm-hmm. he just throws it back at him. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and I, I think one of the greatest things about him is that as someone who I started using Twitter when it was through text message. Right. And I mean, like, and so as someone who's just like always loved it, None of the people that have ever run the company were on Twitter very much, other than maybe Jack. Jack I guess early days. Yeah. Early days, Ev was on there a lot, but yeah. And and you look at someone like Elon, and it's like he uses it, he loves it, and I think that's what that's what it needs. Yeah, you know, totally, totally. Um. So I want to tell you about this cool business idea. Well, not actually, it's not a cool business idea. This really a cool business that I heard about the other day. So when I was um in las vegas mm-hmm. we hired this kid who we met on the strip selling <laughs> water bottles Love okay it. so our business we long story short we had an ad network inside of a bunch of taxi cabs those taxi cabs were uh geofenced so that if you were in a cab by the win and encore you got served a certain kind of ad yeah for high-end ferrari rolex whatever right so we meet this kid and he's selling water bottles he's in a suit Super sharp looking kids selling water bottles on the strip for like six bucks a piece. <laughs> and I don't even remember how we struck up this conversation with him. Anyways, he also, that's what he did during the day. But in the evenings, he was a salesperson at like an art store inside of Caesar's Palace. Ultimately, they became a client of ours, advertised on the network. Super sharp kid. Finally, we said to him like, hey, why don't you stop doing all this? Come work for us and just spend your days 
walking into retail shops and getting people to advertise on this network. His name's Antonio. Great kid. He was probably 19. Wow. So just amazing. So I caught up with him recently, and he's doing this business called Funbox. Okay. And it started out as a few years ago, these like Instagram selfie museums were really cool, you know, where you would sort of like rent out a retail space. You would create like 10 different scenes for people to come in and walk around and take their photos in these really cool places. Right. So that was the first iteration of it. And he was living out in Westlake Village. And um, so con- basically what he did was him and a partner designed for, I think it was like $250,000. They designed this fun museum for kids. Hmm. Okay. And they did a deal with some mall. It was like a profit sharing deal. They basically got the space for nothing. All right. He, fl- he this kid flew back and forth to China like 12 times <laughs> working with the folks in the, in the, in the, um, factory there to build out this thing. Right. And then put it in this mall in, uh, I think Camarillo or something like that. And okay. they did like, you know, I think it cost them like 400 grand all in. Yeah. I think they did like 800 grand in their first, you know, four month run. Right. He managed it, the whole deal. Got like young influencers to come. Anyways, so during COVID, they didn't know what to do because obviously malls are closed. No one's going to go take their kids into these indoor right. things. And so they went back to the same person they were working with for 250 grand more. They built a blow up what they call like a fun museum for kids. And yeah. it's basically a giant inflatable amusement park. I'm looking at that the they put in giant yeah. castle. Thing. Yeah, that yeah. they that they put in mall parking lots and they do limited runs. They hire high school kids to run it. Right. It it costs two hundred fifty thousand dollars to get one made, and they're averaging between in three and four months run between seven and nine hundred thousand cash in revenue oh, wow. in these things. Okay. So what they've now done is they've put all their profit back in. They've built three more. Yeah. And they've got I think three or four going. They've got one in Nevada. They've got one in San Diego. They're about to do one in Arizona. And so now they've got four, and then now what they're doing is they're franchising this. Right. And just out of nowhere, and basically the deals that they strike with these malls and these parking lots are like next to nothing. It yeah, costs them next to like, nothing to run yeah. these things. Right. So yeah. they're, they're looking for any revenue possible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And-, and he basically, his marketing is he just hits up, he, he finds people in these areas, these kids that are popular on Instagram and TikTok. Yep. And he says, hey – I want you to invite you and your family to come out. That's yeah. all the marketing he does. He does no paid marketing. Love it. And this kid is, you know, building a, a real bouncy, business. I've been a bouncy castle fanatic. Like I, I literally mm-hmm. called Chinese. Like when back in the day, um, I wanted one of my kids' church rooms to just be bouncy castle. So I called mm-hmm. this Chinese mm-hmm. factory and I that was pretty cheap. And I bought three of them. And I set, mm-hmm. it, I set it up in a room, and it was the greatest. I had people like, oh, we've got to teach them scriptures. I'm like, let's teach them the Bible while they're bouncing. Yeah. And, uh, yes. And it, it was a hit, so I love it. I didn't go this far. And yeah. Giant big parking lot full of them, but. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's the way I found out about it. He called me and was like, dude, like, you, you start one of these. It's only two. He's like pitching me on the whole franchise process. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is actually kind of a really smart idea. Love it. Um, and but it is it's kind of like a unique way to especially with these malls being you know I, I know we're sort of past COVID but I still think like suburban malls being like past their prime yeah um and I think we may have touched on it on this show is like there's probably a lot of opportunity in places like that 
yeah, uh, the, the high come up with something, back. you know, yeah. like the Century City down the road here in LA. That's, you know, I never go to the mall really. I don't kind of shop at malls, but occasionally, you mm-hmm. know, I'm there at the Apple store or something and it's pretty, it's pretty uh, crowded down there. So, and that's a super iron mall. I think the suburban great, you know, beige box ones are, they're going to struggle maybe forever. Mm-hmm. 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 Do you, do you think that there is cool opportunities? I mean, most of these are on what they're, most of these malls are positioned in between a couple of a few different suburbs. Yeah. Like they're in very central, like it would seem like someone's going to figure out something to do with these things. Right. I mean, Amazon, you know, I think Amazon's starting to buy them as you know shipping centers right as mm-hmm. it's it's now probably cheaper to buy up an old jc penny is that the one that went under um mm-hmm. and and like use it as a distribution somehow mm-hmm. so they're gonna get just repurposed and, mm-hmm. and you know get used for something because they're, mm-hmm. they're a lot of research goes into where to put them all and right and, and like, you know, they do all these studies and all the traffic flows and where all the people are and where growth is coming and where all the new homes are getting built. And so it, it's mm-hmm. in that spot for a reason. Now, you know, areas do change. People move on um, and, you know, trends change, you know, over time. But they're they're in good spots for a reason. And so they'll get, re- you know, they'll get repurposed for something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought, man, what a what a cool what a cool idea. Kid it's, just kind of like about making it happen. Entrepreneurial success. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Next, I want your take on this. So obviously I think I just read again, uh, in March, this last March, uh, hit a new record again of people quitting their jobs. Yep. Uh, in mass. So there's all this conversation about how do you acquire talent? Like it's more difficult than ever to acquire the best talent. Um, and I guess there was this study, this poll done, and one of the big things that everyone is talking about is transitioning to a four-day week, four-day work week. So yep. Yep. Uh, this poll says, you know, executives considered the schedule the most wanted recruitment and retention strategy yep. uh, when polled, but only six percent of them said they are doing it or plan right. to. Um, so it's sort of like. Instead, you know, increase paid time off or maybe more flexibility. So yeah. as a CEO, you guys are a very flexible company in the first place. I mean, we've, you've always yeah. been remote. We've always uh, been remote. I, I can attest to you that the labor market is indeed extremely tight and keeping talented people is extremely hard. Uh, we just did a whole company-wide, you know, raises in April. And I, th- I think we averaged 8%, right, which mm-hmm. is we've never had to do that. Um, and it's not that you don't want to pay your staff more. You do like, I want my staff really well paid and we probably are just a tad above average, but mm-hmm. you know, I had, I have kind of middle management people getting job offers, literally, you know, making six figures and, and like getting offered jobs with like 50 K a year on top. Wow. More than I'm paying them and I'm paying them well. <laughs> and they, and, mm-hmm. and they're like, got two or three years experience, which they've learned, you know, I love getting, um, younger or, or inexperienced mm-hmm. people or people mm-hmm. who are switching industries. Um, we employ a lot of stay at home moms to do our customer mm-hmm. success and, and customer service. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's great jobs for them. They don't have to, you know, they can sign off and when the kids come home and there's a lot of flexibility and what happens is over mm-hmm. two or three years, they develop all these skills, right. And become mm-hmm. really, really good at customer service and they become 
uh, very employable in the marketplace because they can, and it, ha it hasn't happened to us a lot, uh, thankfully, because they really love working, you know, in, in our company. But you you upskill your talent in a fast-growing tech company, and all of a sudden, you're worth much more in the marketplace, and mm -hmm. and then you've got startups with unprecedented amounts of capital to go and hire people like crazy, grow as fast as you can, mm -hmm. and which is still the case, by the way, even though the markets are very public, markets are very choppy. The private markets are flush with capital, mm -hmm. and uh, and so these you know these companies they should be a bit a little bit concerned about burning. You know, they. You, I, I think if you don't have eighteen months of runway right now to burn, you're in a little trouble if you're not profitable. Mm -hmm. But having said that, that, they're still hiring like crazy, paying exorbitant amounts of money, and uh, it's it's part of this whole inflationary supply chain bubble we're in, and just mm -hmm. just the economy is just not working, like it's not in sync. You know, so mm -hmm. pandemic and everything, everything crashed and then everything exploded, and no one really kind of understood the demand that was going to come and then throw in mm -hmm. Russia war and throw in China, you know, shut down. From, yep. And it's just like, there's literally, if, if the economy is, is a hose, right. Mm -hmm. And, and water's flowing through and like that's products and services and productivity and capital and money, it, like the water through her body, what there is, there's golf balls like mm -hmm. that are stuck in certain sections of the hose. Mm -hmm. And so you, like COVID was this giant golf ball. So it, mm -hmm. it stopped everything from moving and, yeah. and basically, and then it got, got shot through and then like it's a fire hydrant now, but then you go around another corner and there's another golf ball, you know, called the Ukraine. And right. And then that, mm -hmm. and that just jacks up commodity prices. Like third of the world's yeah. meat comes out of, you know, Ukraine and Russia. And then you can't get the fertilizer. Mm -hmm. Come to find out Russia yeah. it, it makes all the fertilizer. So yeah. Like, just this event after event that that public markets just are right, you know, railing against, uh, yep. and then inflation, and then interest rates are going up, and uncertainty is mm -hmm. everywhere, and you know, it's going to be a bumpy mm -hmm. twelve months, I predict. So, so in that, if that's the case, do you think like if I'm a, you know, I'm a CEO of a one man company, so I don't have to make these. I'm, I'm, you know, CEO, right? Yeah. Uh, but as a CEO of you know, you, you lead hundreds of people, you have competitors. Mm -hmm. um, to me, the company that decides, yeah, we're going to adopt a four-day work week, like I'm hoping my competitors want to start adopting a four-day a four work week, right? Like anyone in this, in this environment that takes their foot off the gas mm -hmm. and a four-day work week, no matter what anybody wants to say, I feel like maybe I'm totally wrong. Um, but it would seem like any company that's still trying to grow and innovate is it possible to do that with employees only working four days? This is a millennial thing. This is not a baby boomer thing, right? My generation would never go for that. This has come mm -hmm. about as a result. And millennials are now leading companies mm -hmm. and big companies. And essentially this work-life balance thing that is a thing, and I believe in that. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I and it's not like – I think they do – if you do four-day, I think it's mostly you do four 10-hour days. Okay. So, right. So it's not like you're doing less, you know, 32 hours. You're doing, still doing 40 mm -hmm. hours of work. And, mm -hmm. and I think the, the trade off is that you get, you know, a Monday or a Friday or a Wednesday off. You, you can't have everyone off on a Friday if you're in, you know, if you're serving customers and you need support. Right. right? So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's all staggered. 
And so, like, we couldn't have everyone off on a Friday. It's a really busy day for us. Nor could we do it on mm-hmm. Monday. It's a really busy day for us. So mm-hmm. if if it is, do you want to work 10 hours, right? Do you want to, do you want to start at 8 and get off at 6 for four days? I, I, I'd be open to that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not open to four eight-hour days and doing 30 right. hours of work and lowering productivity. I'm not into that. Um, mm-hmm. And to your point, I think if I had competitors trying to do that, you know, and if it was 32 hours, I'm, I'm, I'm going to double down. You, you cannot mm-hmm. win with, with – now, there's smart work, obviously, but just mm-hmm. the nature of business and competition – and everything you have to do to try and sell more of what you're building and, mm-hmm. you know, get money in, work out what it costs you to make that money and spit out a profit. That's mm-hmm. just, that's work and, and it's hard and it's, and it's, you know, so yeah, look, there's some tech companies that are, you know, SaaS companies that, that are buying into all this. One of the big payments guys, Bolt is, uh, mm-hmm. that guy is he's a young CEO. He, he was kind of the real big first kind of public champion on this. I can't mm-hmm. remember his name, but um, and but he's he's he he talks like a millennial leader, and he's mm-hmm. like, "This mm-hmm. is better for my." And look, it may well be better for your employees. I don't know. All I know is is uh, unless you've cornered some market and you're printing money and <laughs> you don't you know need to do the kind of work to stay competitive and stay out in front, you don't see, you know, I don't think you're going to see Apple or Google or you know switching to that right Facebook. I I, I just don't see it. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I have mixed yeah. views. If it was for 10 hour days, I, I, I'd be up into that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Um, all right. So, next topic the Berkshire Hathaway just had their annual meeting last weekend, which I always actually, I, I don't ever watch the full thing, but I always like yeah. watching the highlights just because yeah. those two dudes are like yeah. hilarious. I know. And they're even like their comments on crypto is just, yeah. They're just, it's like, they just have so much personality, right? Well, well um, like we were just saying, like you, you wouldn't see Charlie Munger, you know, go, stand up for a four, four day work week. They, they would just, right. no, no, stage. no, no. <laughs> um, but one thing that's, I always find interesting about them and it's, it's funny. Cause again, I'm like no expert. It's, it's just like, I'm a very novice. It's just fun for me, but you know, people always comment on. What did Berkshire do? Everyone's waiting for the quarterly reports to come right. out to find out where they spent their money, what they invested in, what they yep. sold, what they bought. And um, I think it always – what it seems like anyways is their success always comes down to what they don't do, right? They yep. they kind of seem to sit on their hands yep. and wait and then kind of strike at the right time. So I think last quarter they literally – if I'm looking here, they deployed $2 billion. Mm-hmm. And then, which is right. And then, in the course of just a few weeks, they just went ahead and pulled the trigger and deployed forty billion. I think a lot of that was Apple, by the way. I think they bought a lot of Apple. Um, And then, and then, you know, Warren Buffett says, and now we're back to being in somewhat of more a uh, more of a lethargic mood. Mood, yeah. So basically, they sit around, they watch, they learn, they wait, and then they're opportunistic. And to me, that's obviously not just investing; that's in life. Um, Yeah. But they, very, they seem to be genius at. Oh yeah, they, well, there's my co- few comments. Like, this is um, what are they? Sixty years now with this mm-hmm. this strategy, mm-hmm. so a long time. And mm-hmm. his strategy was early was to buy cash flow businesses, 
at you know pretty good prices. Think Geico, right? Mm-hmm. Just which was a government insurance company, just printing mm-hmm. money. And he somehow he got a hold of it. He owned it, and he used all that cash to go and start. You know, he piles it up, and mm-hmm. then he waits for the next distressed asset to come along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he buys it and then he, that prints all that money, it brings efficiency and he's, you know, it gets cost mm-hmm. down. And, and then, so the strategy is just buy, hold efficient, you know, EBITDA pumping out the door, store up cash, look around, wait for a recession, wait for market downturn, go big, mm-hmm. you know, then do the same. So it's an unbelievable strategy. You've got to be unbelievably disciplined. Uh, mm-hmm. which those guys obviously are and man mm-hmm. pretty awesome and they don't buy into fads mm-hmm. and you know right like oh, i don't understand technology and so he probably lost a lot of money like in mm-hmm. tech. but he got on microsoft eventually and rode that mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. you know apple eventually but yeah i think there, he's i think he's like one of the largest apple shareholders now right totally yeah and um and then like with nfts and bitcoin are like they're 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 ragging on it like so heavily but you watch. Yeah. At some, there's going to, at some point they're going to get in. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to buy, you know, crypto.com or something for cheap when it, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He said, this is a quote I let Charlie Munger, you know, he says, um, turn a situation or problem upside down, look at it backwards. What happens if all of our plans go wrong? Where don't we want to go? And how do you get there? Instead of looking for success, make a list of how to fail instead. Tell me where I'm going to die. That is so I don't go there. It's such a great, just old, just brilliant quote is, did they do that because they're on the other side of so much success, right? Like they can afford to not be optimists. Yeah. They're in like preservation mode, right? We talk a lot about being optim about yeah. um, being optimistic, right? I don't know if it's that or I think they just, you know, for lack of a better term, they like taking the piss out of people. Like they literally just <laughs> say stuff that is, you know, yep. like contrary and and mm-hmm. two curmudgeons that are billionaires, multi yep. multi billionaires, and say whatever they want. But right, you look at what they've done in the last you know, 50 years, it's just, it's unbelievable mm-hmm. and never split the mm-hmm. stock, right? The stock is like, right. I, I don't know what it is. That's 150 grand to buy one share. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're like, yeah, that's what it costs. Keeps all the day traders out. <laughs> they hate that's, retail yeah. investing. They, they hate robbing. Yes. They're just, yep. they want to buy and run their, that's what they do. Yeah. They're so, that's hilarious. <laughs> Um, okay, so last topic. This is something I've been thinking a lot about uh, lately, personally, and I think it's actually really relevant to anyone who's bootstrapping something, doing a side hustle, doing it on their own, maybe doing it with one partner, and always having to figure out like time allocation. Um, I think there's like two sides of the coin here. One, I think nowadays in our like hyper productivity content world, some of this stuff is way overthought. You know. Yep. Um, but this is something I, in, especially in the last month, have really been trying to drill down into. And I, I saw this tweet that was basically like this rule, right? Like there's one goal, and that's basically get an ROI that is four times your spend. So basically what this tweet talks about is basically look at everything you do over the course of a week, put a, time, put a, put a dollar amount, an hourly dollar amount on that, right? Mm-hmm. And that's everything from emailing, scheduling, bookkeeping, sales, social media, like whatever, whatever that is. 
try and determine where you're spending your money and where you're spending your time and then essentially do whatever you have to do to spend the vast majority of your time on those like highest ROI tasks. Right. Um, so this person essentially says, you know, scale the prioritization. Now, here's the, and, and basically delegate everything else. Go hire a virtual assistant. Go right. hire someone to manage your social media, whatever, right. all this kind of stuff, which all sounds really amazing until, like you said earlier, you know, you're a startup and you have a certain amount of runway or maybe you're self-funding and you actually have to think every dollar I spend at right. some point is going to, you know, is, is going to run out. So. Yeah. What do you think about this? Like, I tend to be more of a, um, at least in my mind, never really actually making it happen. But like more, more like I read this, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I need to go hire a virtual assistant right now. Who cares right. what it costs? You know, right. like, I, like, I need to be doing like the highest ROI stuff. Right. Um, that's the way my brain works. And um, yeah. I don't know. What do you think of that? Like, is, is, is a lot of this just overthinking it? Or do you think someone that's in a really early stage of something really needs to look at this and dissect it and be strategic about it? Well, first thing I'd say is I think the opposite to this. <laughs> so, okay. that, right. So in my world and how I do things, if I'm bootstrapping and I'm conserving my cash and I'm pre, you know, revenue or pre EBITDA, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to work, like, forget four-day week, work weeks, man. I'm going to work seven days, 15 hours mm -hmm. a day. That's what mm -hmm. I'm going to do. And if it means I'm going to do the emailing or I'm going to follow up the phone calls, I'm doing mm -hmm. it because I think, mm -hmm. and that's, I'm just super old school on that. I'm just going to do it yep. all. <clears throat> and, so let and, me ask, can I ask you this real quick? Can mm -hmm. I ask you this? Now that you're on the other side yep. of you technically dean could say i'm gonna just hire uh, you know do you still think that way um or have but, you or have you started to I, so, I would assume now you go okay my time can be more valuable in certain areas than others right 100 but his i just went away for three weeks I, like i was gone most of uh april and the business had a like record month so i don't need to be <laughs> here for my business to do well but right um, I do need to be here to um, guide and steer the vision and the mission of the company. And uh, the mm -hmm. things I do today are way different than the first two or three years. The first two or three years, mm -hmm. I'm taking every call, making every sale, doing the follow-up, yep. trying to keep the software from falling apart, getting more customers, answering the phone, and you know, didn't hire the first person until I was literally like 12 hours a day. And I would wake up to 50 voicemail messages on my Google phone. <laughs> and I'm like, and then I plow through those. It would take me, but while I was plowing through those, like another 50 had, were calling Come me. In. I was calling them back. Mm -hmm. And I, then I hired one guy and I said, mm -hmm. here's the Google, here's the Google um, phone that I was using. Deal with that. Yeah. Um, he's still mm -hmm. with us, by the way, Andrew, he's a great guy. That's awesome. So. But okay, so obviously, as if you're successful, so, so that's how I think you get successful. You're just, yep. you're doing everything you can, and you're not, you're not saying, "Oh, this is too many for me to do." I'd be better off doing. I'm, I'm just throwing everything at trying to sell the product, and, mm -hmm. and get mowed down by customers to the point where you know, mm -hmm. like when COVID hit, you don't have a choice. Yeah, that's the point that, you know, now you don't stay like that forever because it's exhausting. 
But um, yep. when, when COVID hit and we signed up 12,000 churches in six weeks, we hired <laughs> eight part-time people who eventually all came on full-time. And like, there's just, when the, when it's, you have to, you have to, but if you're early and you're trying to conserve your cash, you should be doing everything you can and you should mm -hmm. be stand, spending as little as possible. You should put that money into marketing, you know, to, to generate more, um, into your funnel and mm -hmm. make every call and do everything until the point the way you can't. And then mm -hmm. and now, obviously strategically now, you know, I'm talking to big denominations and, you know, I, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm, doing many different things that I was doing at the beginning, but that's because, you know, we, we got on the other side and we grew and we were profitable. And I think all that happened because, and I had two partners that did the same. Mm -hmm. My CEO, Frank did this. He had, he had a full-time job and mm -hmm. he would work, you know, probably five or six hours a day on tightly before we could afford. Mm -hmm. We didn't have healthcare. He had three kids. He wanted to be mm -hmm. working full-time, but like we couldn't afford his salary. And we didn't have healthcare back then, right? So, yeah, like mm -hmm. literally, he worked two jobs, executive mm -hmm. level, like important mm -hmm. jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, same with my CFO. Like, you, there's no, and this goes back to the four day work week and this millennial kind of mindset. You mm -hmm. cannot build great companies and businesses. Steve Jobs did not come in four days a week, right. He lived, yes. slept, dreamed, breathed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, pick a, pick any unbelievable company that's around today. Mm -hmm. The founders mm -hmm. did not think, "Oh, this task is too menial for me." Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they didn't get successful by putting an IO, uh, ROI on every on a dollar amount on every single activity that they did. And not at the know. beginning, right in the start, you're mm -hmm. just in the trench, like taking mm -hmm. hits. So. Yeah, I, I'm. I think if if this is a thing, it's it's uh you know, post, you know, startup phase, and you're cruising a bit, and now you can actually put more time into winning enterprise, big customers, and you know, everyone likes if you are trying to win a big deal, or you know, everyone likes to talk to the boss, right? And, and you know, all, all my sales guys know that. Hey, look, could I, you know, if it's a big customer, they're going to go, hey, would you like to meet our CEO and. And, you mm -hmm. know, and like, so anything that I can do then to help them sell stuff, you know, I do, but, um, this isn't, this is not a mentality for the first five years of your business, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, cool. Anything else, uh, you read, listen to watch anything lately that you, uh, you'd recommend? Um, what am I reading? I'm just, man, I'm back on The Economist, man. I just read that thing every day. Really? Yeah, I, I, and mm -hmm. I try to read every article because it's such a global magazine. And so mm -hmm. I really like being informed on, on you know, the, the political eruption going on in Sri Lanka right now or, you know, different parts of Africa because I've been to a lot of these countries and, um, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm staying really tuned in and what's going on in Australia kind of lately too, just, you know, mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm exploring new markets that, you know, I, I want to want us to go in. So I'm doing a lot of research, um, and, and stuff, but yeah, I just, you know, keep, uh, keep informed what's going on around about me and, you know, listen to probably the same podcast as everyone else and, and, uh, try to mm -hmm. keep, keep making good decisions. So, yeah, love it. 
All right. Well, as usual, um, hit us up, shoot me an email, mw at vast.faith. If you have someone you think we should talk to, if you have an idea, if you want to hear um, us talk about a specific topic, I know uh, we're talking about just having a lot more folks on, some folks joining this conversation, different friends of ours, different people we're talking to that are starting stuff. So hit us up. We'd love to hear yeah. from you. And uh, we'll see you back next week. You bet. At Dean Sweetman on the Twitter machine. At Dean Sweetman. Dean Sweetman, is your blog up? Are you blogging? Yeah, DeanSweetman.com is up. DeanSweetman.com. Love it. Yeah. We'll see you all next week. Bye.